Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Trailer Rewind, a monthly conversation about movies you may have missed in theaters that are now available to watch at home on streaming services. 
Every month, we dig into the archives and watch a film that was one of the trailer picks on a Saturday matinee episode. You can get access to the Sat Matt shows over at patreon.com slash the next reel. It's a great way to get an overview of everything that we do here at the next reel. Today, we're talking about the vanishing of Sydney Hall. This was Pete's pick from January 13, 2018. Today is April 10th, 2019, and The Vanishing of Sydney Hall is available on Amazon Prime and Canopy. When we talked about this as a trailer pick, Andy mentioned that the film had played Sundance back in 2017, but this was the first time the trailer dropped. It actually had a very limited release on March 2nd, 2018. It looks like, as far as I can tell, it was only on about 10 screens. Total? Total. I couldn't find... I could not find any box office information at all anywhere. And I think that maybe it also appeared to have a March 2nd release on Amazon Prime and iTunes. And then later that month, March 20th, it appears that that's when it hit DVD and Blu-ray. So this was sort of like a day and date release in theaters and streaming at the same time. the fact that Andy said, you know, it had played Sundance the year before and there was really nothing as far as trailers. And then it got picked up uh, as an A24 release. But then it just sort of, you know, came and went. Just looked like it got pushed out into streaming. Yeah. Um, Pete said uh, he picked this because it's full of people that he really, really likes. And he also has a thing for stories about authors. And I'm sure we're going to sure. talk about that. Okay. Andy said it looked like a tricky drama with some mystery and a strong character that looks to be the strength of the story and that this is the type of film that you hope lives up to what it is setting up. And perhaps we can talk about that as well. This is an A24 release, he mentioned, and we we have a you know sort of high bar of expectations for films with A24. Uh, these trailers get priority on the sat mat if somebody brings an A24 trailer that goes first because we're always excited to see what A24 is bringing to us. Uh, Previously on the show, we've talked about several A24 films. I think recently we just had uh, Lean on Pete was an A24 film. So opening statements here, JJ, what did you think about this one? So this was an interesting movie. I knew nothing about it. I knew nothing about it even leading up to seeing it. And I just watched it Monday night. Um, I actually had a conversation with uh, Tommy Handsome, our uh, wonderful additional host from uh, from the film board. And we looked it up on Rotten Tomatoes. That was my uh, that was my <laughs> my experience with knowing about this movie. Okay. Uh, and the tomato meter. And I think that's that's critics, right? No, tomato yes. meter is kind of everybody. The- it gave it a 12 percent. A 12% out of the 100, you know, and that's not, and then, you know, and Tommy looked up uh, Metacritic as well, and that gave it, I think, 18. Uh, So I knew nothing coming into this movie. I just knew that it was a drama, and like Pete said in his recommendation here, this is a really spectacular cast. You get slapped in the face with some amazing faces the whole way you go through this movie. I really, really liked it. I thought I I am a sucker for nonlinear storytelling. Um, I I don't know that I would say that the execution was perfect. I think that there's lots of people could quibble with lots of things in this movie, but the the story is uh, uh, adventurous. It's uh, they're really trying to tell something that's complicated, complex, and uh, and I think they do it well. I think it's an emotional movie, and I think it's an emotional mystery 
it, in the way that it's told. I really liked it a lot, and I don't understand why it's got nothing. Meaning, you know, 10 screens and, and nobody paying attention to it. This is a perfect movie for Trailer Rewind because it's a movie that if you like drama, you should watch this movie. There's a scene in this film where our main character, Sidney Hall, has written a novel, and he, there's a scene where he's... Uh, talking with his his teacher from school about this uh, sure sydney's asking you know what what he thought and he, his teacher's response was well i felt manipulated yeah and <laughs> that's exactly how i felt about oh. this movie it's just it manipulated me so much um it it frustrated me i want to love this movie but i feel like it would have been a better novel than a movie it, it, it it's not adapted from a young adult novel but it feels so much like it is the the structure of the film where you have multiple storylines sort of we, we've got non-linear as you said and so we we have we're jumping between the timeline uh in sydney's life and we we're getting these climactic moments but i felt that the only reason that was done that way was um if you had gotten some, it was creating artificial suspense. Yeah, to a certain sense, and I felt manipulated. Like, if we don't save that for the end, if we reveal that earlier on, is the story going to lose momentum? Is it going to sure. undermine the power of the narrative? And so I felt it was. I, I really struggled with this movie and some of the decisions that were made. I also struggle with when you have a character that's supposed to be like the greatest writer of his generation this just amazing writer uh, you're setting yourself up with well you, you clearly either have to have some amazing writing reveal that or it is all hidden because nothing can live up to the expectation that you're you're setting for the audience uh it's it's better to just have oh it's this great novel you're going to get some key story points, but we're not going to reveal anything about his writing style or anything because we can't. We, right. as writers of this movie, can't create writing at that level. Um, so I, I want to address both your points. Sure. Um, okay. And I think it's interesting that you bring up the point where his teacher says he felt manipulated when he read his writing because this is a manipulative movie. It It's meant to do that to you. But similar to the what the teacher says, that's how he starts it, right? He felt manipulated. And then he gives a glowing review of what was written by the author. And I think that the depth of this movie, for me, really connected in that way. I think it's it's interesting that you bring up the concept of us needing to believe in the ability of this character to write as well as he's renowned in the story. Because I actually think that the story in and of itself is a deconstruction of this Sidney Hall's character ability to write. That we are around every turn. He really only writes two novels over the course of his life. That's what well, we're. And the second one isn't really a novel, as he exactly. says. It's just a bunch of unfinished sentences. Yes, they brought out. And about it, yes. when you go through the story, when the story actually unravels to the end, you learn along the way that he didn't have the idea for the book. It's something that was fed to him. It's based on something that's very tragic and very secret that happened in his life and that he was faced with uh, directly. And so when you think about it, you see the tragedy that unfolds this person and everything that he has to deal with. And the the words that the author created were created by muses. They weren't actually created by Sidney. And I think his 
choice to become a recluse and to, you know, and deal with his mental illness, which is something that's really kind of difficult throughout this, the story as well, um, in the way that he does is also a reaction to his overwhelming guilt about everything, including his uh, renowned or supposed ability that he really doesn't deserve the credit for necessarily. He's just the vessel to explain all these terrible things. And I think that's, so for me, I didn't want them to explain it because I think that the the statement about it is that it's not the person that's the artist in this. It's the tragedy that's the person. And that, and I just thought that was, I thought it was really special, but I can definitely see how you would feel manipulated and that some of it probably was done to excess. Well, coming back to his writing, I mean, he set up early on that you know, he's a, a great writer. So yes, the subject matter of his novel isn't anything of his own invention. He's drawing from his true life experience and write what you know. Right at the beginning, it, it opens with him reading aloud something he's written to class, which we learned was supposed to be, you know, something about the meaning of life. And it's his commentary on who, who you know, growing up or, you know, masturbation. It was commentary on know. masturbation. There was nothing, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anything else. Exactly. Is, is, and, yeah. And so we have then a, you know, scene right after that where he's meeting with the, you know, the other teacher and he's saying, look, you're a great writer. You just, you know, you pick controversial subject matter and it's, you know, you've, this teacher's got it out for you. And, he, you know, you write for the school newspaper and I can't publish, you know, half the things you write. So we we're set up that Sydney is a, a talented writer sure. early on. Uh, this 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 prodigy, and then we're going to learn, you know, through the story what he ends up writing. Because then we, you know, we're quickly that then introduced to to Kyle Chandler, you know, the the searcher who's right. who's looking for this mysterious man that's going into bookstores and and burning these books, and he suspects that it's Sidney Hall, who's this reclusive writer who's now just trying to remove his own writing from the world for whatever reason. And I, I guess because he hates I it. Just, Yes, but it's, it's he feels like a, an imposter. Yes, I don't know. It's Sorry, the, I'm going back guess, to that point. We don't oh, need no, to no. belabor it, but yeah. But it's it's I guess the the it's such the easy trope to do with you know you're either going to be you know J D Salinger or, or Thomas Pynchon you're going to have this reclusive writer and I think we're probably getting into more Salinger territory as this yeah, young writer and, and young people yeah. are really drawn to this book and it's you know to for you know to destructive ends and it's this whole look at suburban life and so it it's clearly that's to me something you can't get away from and that makes it really tricky for me because it's just i don't know i i guess it's the the cliche of the reclusive writer who now is turning his back on his work that you know he the the world doesn't understand him or he doesn't like the way the world's responding to his work um or in this case it's it's perhaps it's this unresolved guilt uh over this this issue because he's starting to see right you know people that that aren't there and we learn that these are people from his youth yes uh you know, so we we it's setting up a lot of questions at the beginning, like what is this book that he's going to write? You know, his his trajectory or fame. We have that, then we see that he's a re recluse. So, w what was the transition from from famous writer, you know, best selling book to being a rec recluse and you know not have and, and wanting to destroy his book? So it sets up multiple questions at the beginning, and I I, I like that structure, but I think it would work best in a book uh, here i as i said I, I feel we're being manipulated to with these questions and that's what's going to pull us through the story to wait for the answers to the questions there's not enough 
and character and plot going along to really draw us through other than I'm watching to see how these questions get answered. That That's how I felt. Yeah, about it's, this. it's the mystery for sure. Yeah. And I, I get what you're saying about tropes, but I will, you know, the argument that I would make there is that stereotypes exist for reasons. You know, yes, there's a reason things become cliche because they're repeatedly, they're themes that are successful or that are relatable in art. Um, yeah, I, I, I think... You know, if you talk about the searcher and that mystery of who the searcher is and the mystery of how he became a recluse and all of the different pieces that are in here, you that's what you're there for is to to answer those questions. Um, and for me, they were all questions that I was interested uh, to answer for sure. Were you satisfied with the answers? Satisfaction is an interesting question, especially when you relate to a story like this. You know, we bring up Lean on Pete. Um Lean on Pete's definitely a different story structure. It Lean on Pete felt like it was a it was a a, a roller coaster car that was c- kind of off the rails, um, and it made me uncomfortable. This felt like it was the opposite. It felt like it was curated. It was a ride that was curated, and I felt like it was wrapped up appropriately. In terms of satisfaction, emotionally, it was disastrous to get to the end of this it was it was tragic as well but um but i was i was satisfied in that i thought it was well written uh and curated in the way that i like in movies how about you it sounds like it wasn't satisfying no like i said i i felt manipulated and i this is one of those projects where i feel like writer director too closely attached to his material so this screenplay is written um there's a whole story about you know the the writer director of this um sean christensen is a musician he's one of these you know multi-hyphenates he's a writer director actor musician he's a renaissance man yes exactly so i guess this was a script that he had worked on and was acquired th- uh by scott free productions back in 2008 that's that's ridley scott and uh According to Wikipedia, Joe Russo was going to direct. Oh, wow. Uh, Ridley Scott and Tony Scott were going to be producers. And Jim Sturgis was going to play Sidney Hall. Love that. But then it it just, you know, disappeared. Sean Christensen, um, you know, ends up making a short that gets uh, an Academy Award. He turns that around into a feature film called Before I Disappear yeah. um, in 2014. And then... The Sydney Hall project has just not seen any development, and so he basically opts to have this thing independently produced. And if you look, he so the writer director and the main star Logan Lerman are like the producers on this. And to me, that just you know reeks of passion project. They're both really passionate about that. I just wonder about: Do you then have the objectivity to say, are we really doing what's right by this, or do you, you do you not have somebody that's looking outside saying? here's maybe some other choices that should be made in how you do this. I just felt like these two guys were maybe too close to the story. Well, what would you change? You know, like I said, I, there's there's some things that I, I don't know if it's cliche, if it's, the, like I said, it's the, the structure. There's just some things I thought, uh, it just, I I agree, it does what it does well. It's a, a it looks good. Uh, the performance is like, there's just something that feels hollow about this or it's it's too too written uh yeah. you know the character of, of melody l fanning across the street who's the 
the neighbor that was there when he was in first grade and then she moves away and she comes back and it's just like the two perfect relationship. They're these teens and they're going to run off and they're the idealistic youth. And then as they get older, they grow apart. It just felt like it checked all the boxes too perfectly rather than giving me what I expected in a new way. It just gave me what I expected. And again, this is a film that, and this is why I think it would make a great young adult novel. If I was, between 13 and 17 coming to this uh yeah this does everything that it 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 should do but for me as a more experienced film viewer and reader i just like yeah it's been done and and better yeah i guess it just feels like a a a hollow echo of other things and Hmm. i can't i can't blame any of the performances i think you know logan lerman is sydney hall l fanning is melody kyle chandler is the searcher michelle monahan as as the mom no great i there's just choices like okay michelle monahan plays his mom and her name is valoria which is a pixie song and there's some pixies music in there i thought why are you picking that name? There's nobody named Valori. It just feels again. I totally didn't even notice that that was her name. <laughs> <laughs> because it's uh, the opening monologue as he's talking about the the girl Valoria, which is his mom is the cheerleader. You know, oh, that's what, right. All of okay. that. Um, now I remember. So it's just yeah. it's things like that. But I mean, Nathan Lane is, you know, yeah, they're great performance. Tim Blake Nelson. I love Tim Blake Nelson. I think, you know, as yeah. as the, you know, uh, the carnival. Carney. Carney that also, you know, forges documents. Yes, everybody does what they need to do and they do it well, but it just doesn't come together and it just feels hollow for me or I feel manipulated. Even at the end, as these things happen, I just felt like I can feel like, oh, we need to get to this point. So I'm going to push things this way. So did you know that the stuff, like, did you guess that this was how things were going to go? I mean, that's the thing. I guess manipulated. Not, not specifically. Maybe not. Because no. now, like, I, had, I keep comparing it to Trailer yeah. Rewind movies, right? So I think about The Bachelors. Yeah. And, and The Bachelors had some real, like, sledgehammer emotional, we're going to move you this direction with this particular set piece. And that it, I always felt like it was too much. This stuff in this movie, it, all of this surprised me. I mean, the big, the big MacGuffin of the, you know, the hidden tape, which felt like some, something out of To Kill a Mockingbird. I mean, it, like all this stuff, I didn't get that that's what was going to happen um, in, in all of the twists and turns of the story. And so that, while I, I, I understand how you may have felt manipulated, it was surprising to me. The mystery was enough for me. I, I bought in. I, th- I think the, if we're going to get into the end, a little bit here. Yeah. Sure. What what was in the, the MacGuffin in the in the little lunchbox? I wasn't sure what it was going to be, but I knew clearly it had to do with Brett Newport. You know, there was something with his dad because they set that up enough where, you know, as they're on their way to get that, he's like, everything's going to change tomorrow. You know who my dad is? Oh, yeah, he's a judge. I thought, OK, there's something. Judge is corrupt. I wasn't sure right. exactly what it was. It, you know, I didn't suspect, you know, that it's, you know, child race is. Yes. You didn't see that. Imagine that that was what was going to happen. Yeah. No. But then, you know, so we've got that, you know, timeline where it's the reveal of what's this incident that's going to be the inspiration for this book. But then we get the the scene with Melody uh, in, in the elevator. And to me, that just, it didn't ring true. Okay. For me on that one. Um, And then I guess, I guess, 
part of my issues are there's information that's just hidden from the viewer for no good reason other than to reveal it at the end. Like all along, he's seen these people, he's seen the doctor, you know, mental illness, what's going on. Uh, Later on when he's, you know, the recluse and he goes in the hospital, it's like, oh, he's got, you know, brain damage, you know, possible, you know, concussion or something like that. Then it's, oh, it's in, we now see it's in this confrontation with his mom. And I thought, okay, he gets a head wound as, you know, he's still in high school, you know, so we're like 10 years later. There's at no point that this has manifested itself uh, before, or he's, you know, as a famous author, he's never gone to see a doctor about, hey, you know, when I was 17, I had this severe head injury and I'm seeing people. I, it just felt like being used for specific plot purposes rather than this is how these characters would behave i guess i i think that's fair i just for me i bought into it i mean the things that we experienced in the bachelor when there's the mental breakdown that leads to shock therapy and all that stuff that (laughs) i guess maybe even coming (laughs) off that that experience you know that's two months ago but it it, coming off that experience this at least felt like it was rooted in something that could take place or at least could take place in the course of a film right so that's sure and that's where i was in with it um but yeah and the and the releasing that stuff that's that's where the non linear storytelling made me more uh, appreciate. I mean, it, they seemed to work together in that those things that they were hiding or the things that they were, uh, the causes for the drama that you're feeling throughout the film while he's dealing with mental illness or the seeing of people, the injury, um, it it tells the story, it reveals it at the end or towards the climax, which I think it's appropriate storytelling. I think it's, I, I, I liked that ride that it was, we were learning about what caused this stuff at the end of the experience of it, which I thought was very, um, very, very creative to do from a, from a storytelling way in film. And I want to come back to what I think is a, a strength sure. in this. Uh, the, the, the setup early on of the introduction of the character of the searcher. Uh, yes, of that to me was, I think, the strong part at the in the beginning of we have this reclusive writer and we've got somebody that's trying to find him. To me, in the trailer, that's what drew, drew me in. That's the title of the film, The Vanishing of, of Sydney Hall. Um, I'm a big fan of these like procedural type things of like there's a mystery to be solved. We're trying to find somebody. Um, I wanted more of that. Yeah. Because I was really intrigued. And they, there was a moment when I think this is sort of in our, our mid storyline. It's like Sydney has been nominated for the Pulitzer and he's, he's talking with the, the, the daughter of his publisher, you know, who's having an affair with, and he talks about, you know, he has these dreams that there's somebody following him. Right. Um, which I thought, okay, is this storyline of the searcher and the recluse is that, in his mind, is that going to be his next book? I thought that's an interesting direction, but I really liked the the searcher, you know, tracking Sydney across the country and, and finding people, finding, you know, Tim Blake Nelson uh, and, you know, tracking all these aliases. For me, that worked really, really well. I think so story. too. I, I wanted more of that. And then... Uh, Did I, you know I who guess, he was? <laughs> 
was just going to get to that. Ah. Uh, no, I I didn't. No, and he's and credited that, as the searcher too. He's, cre- so he's it's credited a, as the searcher. Right. And we were actually watching. I think uh, the whole family were watching. I think we had the the captions on, and I think it it identified him in the captions as the searcher. And we're like, oh, yes. interesting. They're not exactly. naming this character the searcher. So, yeah, we when we find out who this is, it I guess that that timeline to me is the the most interesting because the reveal happens in a diner. Uh, so Sydney's yeah. been arrested for, you know, was an open container. He's like, you know, he's homeless. He's on the streets. He's got his dog with him and the police find him and he gets arrested. They take his dog, you know, animal, you know, right. Uh, rescue is going to get him. And then he makes bail and there's this, and it's the searcher that's posted bail for him. And he basically proposes a deal to Sydney. Uh, he wants Sydney's agreement to the terms of this before. And in that discussion is when we get the reveal. Mr. Hall, I've been searching for you for the better half of a year. I'm a big fan. I've studied both of your novels, Suburban Tragedy and State of Execution, and I, I find them to be extraordinary forms of map work. Map work, huh? You're a psycho fan, aren't you? No. Well, I mean, maybe a little. Life isn't very interesting. We're not a, a bit psychotic. Look, I'm, uh, I'm not a writer anymore. You understand what I'm saying? I, I don't have any money. I, uh, there's nothing I can give you. That's not what interests me. I've come here with the intention of presenting you with a deal. In return for me posting your bail, I would like to ask you a favor. Uh, However, I need you to say yes to this favor before I actually tell you exactly what it is. No, no way. You have to tell me what it is first. I'm not really in a position to bargain, Mr. Hall. Your propensity of starting fires in public places has you at a disadvantage. But don't worry, what I ask you, it will not take long. Oh, great. Why did you have to go and say that? You know, first it was a favor, and now it's a time-consuming favor. Well, there's nothing to be afraid of. It may even be therapeutic. Therapeutic? Do you have any idea what kind of fucked-up things I'm imagining right now? Then I suggest you say yes. Yes, sure. Jesus Christ, just tell me what it is before I have a heart attack. I want to write a book about you. Say again? I want to write your biography. Your life. You want to write a book about me? I would like to write a book about you. Absolutely not. No. No, no, no. Yes, yes, yes. You ever even written anything before? I know what you've written. And I happen to think you're one of the best writers of our time. You get ahead of yourself. I'm not... uh, That would be Francis Bishop. Have you ever read Francis Bishop? He won the Pulitzer of the Year, was nominated. Maybe he didn't deserve it. No, he, uh... He deserved it, all right? His follow-up book was... Proof enough of that. My follow-up was self-indulgent and pretentious. So if you want to write about the greatest writer of our time, <clears throat> I suggest you write about Francis Bishop. No, I'm no good at autobiography. Look, I don't know what to tell you then. You are Francis Bishop? 
JJ. Yeah. How did you how did you respond to the reveal of who this searcher I, is? I loved it because I thought the way that it was written, the story, the dialogue here at the diner was just it was clever and I didn't get it. I mean, I didn't they set me up. Kyle Chandler was, you know, the guy. He was the authority. It I just I totally bought it and uh I was as blown away as Sydney was. I thought it was great. Um and I could definitely see you throwing a manipulative dart at this one, too. But I just thought it was great. It was the last, not the last thing I expected, but it was, I definitely did not expect it. Well, I love the way the reveal is sort of in a, like, quick throwaway line. Because, you know, Sydney's like, oh, you should write about Francis Bishop. Yeah. And he's like, well, I'm not good at writing an autobiography. And then, you know, the conversation continues. And we're, everybody, we were watching, we're like, wait, what? See? He's Francis Bishop. He's, he's the guy like that, that won the too. Yes. It, no, it, it was great. Because Good writing. We, yes, that, I think, I agree. That is solid writing because we get this, you know, Francis Bishop is this, you know, it's this other writer. It's it's the rival. It's the the one, you know, when Sidney gets nominated for Pulitzer, it's, you know, he's like reading Francis Bishop, who's also been nominated. He's like, wow, this guy is good. So there's this mutual, there's this respect there from Sidney. And then I'm all on board with that, with you know, this searcher and he reveals he's Francis Bishop. And then I'm thinking, why is he tracking Sidney Hall? Right. Why, why, you know, what is it? And, and then they start to lose me again because it's like, oh, it's his son. And he, there, you know, his son was being distant and there had been some trauma or whatever. And his son read Sidney's book. And it was only after reading that book that he was, his son was able to like talk with him again. And I thought, oh, really? It's just, one thing too far. I, if it had just been Sydney's, you know, writing, you know, that that mutual respect between writers of you do something different and I could never do what you do and I really understand what you're doing and and appreciate that. That would have been enough for me. But to tie it into you know Francis's own kid and all that, it just again became this I don't know, a little too melodramatic for That's me. That's fair. I, I I I just liked it. I mean, honestly, I mean, I feel like it pairs extremely well with the story of Sydney. Not, and this is again my interpretation, but not feeling the having the imposter syndrome idea of not deserving the the acclaim and the respect that he got, and then a, and then of course ruining his marriage through infidelity, and then dealing with this mental illness whole thing. So this is Sydney's journey. So what you have is. Francis, who actually wins the uh, Pulitzer, and then his son goes through this terrible patch, and then the book that he beat in this Pulitzer is the one that saves his son. So, of course, he wants to tap that inspiration. He wants to know why Sidney only wrote two novels. He wants to know why he's mm -hmm. gone. He's He deserves more than he was given. So you have now this imposter syndrome of the man who won the Pulitzer. I, I Again, I think your feelings are warranted about it, but this is something that I just thought was a smart way to put the story together, and I I liked it a lot. Okay. Well, we can, as you know, I say we can always agree to disagree. Well, so let's, the, you know, the basis of Trailer Rewind is there a person that you think, because people ask me about this show all the time. They say, yeah. uh, oh, you do something about streaming. So what is a movie that I might have missed that I would have, that I should check out on streaming? And this fits into that character for me. I mean, this is not Miss Sloan, but this is, uh, this is the kind of thing <laughs> wow. where I'm going to okay. say, uh, people should check this movie out because it's got some creative twists and turns. Who 
even though you feel manipulated, are there people that you think you could recommend this to? Yeah, I can. I think, uh, well, and we, I feel like we're on the backside of like the conversation we had about The Bachelors where my daughter and I had a really strong emotional reaction to that. Yeah. And you, you know, so I, I, I think it's, these films are sort of of a pair that yeah. depending on where you are or expectation, um, yeah, I th- like I said, I think the young adult audience, I think, will really connect with this. I think teens will, you know, those people that are Sydney. susceptible to manipulation. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> a little bit. Uh, but I think you know that idea of people that are perhaps the outcasts in high school, but yeah. are are the creative types, and to see, you know, this is this can be that hero of. <laughs> He's going to show up everybody, right? He's going to get out of this small town. He's going to get the big, you know, check advance for his his novel and get away from the dynamics at home, which I still am not clear about. Um, yeah. Dad's disability. I don't know what's going on with dad. That was a big question. That I had was never for, explained. Yeah, that was what that what's was going odd. on with that. Was it a work related incident? What happened? I have no idea. I didn't. You know, because it's like there's sometimes where dad's just sitting there and he's like mute. I'm like, oh, is dad, you know, something happened? You know, was he in a car accident, a brain damage? But then there's other times where it's he seems to be, you know, relatively around, talking. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes. Um, so I think, yeah, I think, um, you know, my, I don't know if my oldest daughter has seen it yet, but I, this is. You know, she we we tease her a lot because she likes what we call her stories. She likes those, uh, you know, TV dramas. Uh, you know, it's just a little bit melodramatic to me. This is the perfect thing for her. Um, it's got a, a little love story to it. Yeah, that it, it didn't tragic, do anything new for me. Story, yeah. A tragic love story. Um, yeah, there's, you know, it. I didn't fall in love with that relationship, and I I felt like it was trying to set me up to do that between, you know, Sydney and Melody. This should be, they get each other because they don't fit in, and I didn't fall in love with them. So for me, the the tragedy of, of them, you know, as adults you know, separating didn't hit me like I felt that it should because I thought these are these two that they're... They're escaping together, right. and I should love that idea. And they set this goal of like, on May twenty fifth, when we turn you know thirty or whatever, we're going to meet at this place, no matter what. And yeah, you didn't like I just, that. It, I, I, I wanted to love it more. Just something prevented me from really going down that road with them. So I think again, I'm older, maybe more cynical, and <laughs> <laughs> but I think there's people that will love this movie. And I, yeah. in looking at the reviews on IMDb, a lot of people say, you know, this is, um, they, they said, don't listen to the critics. This is a, a you know, a, a great story. It's, it's like a great book. You know, you're going to love these characters and all that. And I think, as I said, I think I would have enjoyed this more as a novel where I would have had more time with these characters. I could have gotten to know them deeper. And I feel like I, that's the one thing is with the fragmented timeline, I don't have that time to grow and connect with them in the same way. You're definitely right in that it feels like a novel. And I will just say to back up what you're saying there at the end that, you know, I started off this show with uh, the fact that Tommy Handsome told me that, you know, Rotten Tomatoes was 12%, Metacritic was an 18%. But if you just do a little bit more looking, 
the audience score yeah. on Rotten Tomatoes oh, is eighty yeah. percent. So um, yes. that's why uh, you know I mentioned this is going to be one of them that's closer to the top for me in saying this is a streaming movie that you probably missed, and if you like nonlinear drama, there's a chance you're going to like this movie. Uh, I think it, all your points are fair. I, I would definitely understand uh, someone who doesn't want to be manipulated or or made to feel like they're they're easy to push in a certain direction by watching this movie. But um, the reality is is that this this it, this will, movie will surprise you in one way or another if you watch it. Yeah, it's going to divide audiences one way. There's people that right. are going to love this. There's people that are going to be perhaps indifferent or disappointed. Sure. So that brings us to our, you know, where'd you rank it? How many stars did yeah. you give it? So where does this one end up for so you? I'm I'm really curious. It's going to sound really strange. I actually had to rank it a couple times because I was like, I didn't okay. really get where it was showing up on my flick chart. So I had a couple debates with myself and redid it and all that bit. Um, it comes in at, I think, think number here let me see it's 78 out of 197 so what that right. means the the funny thing is that where it comes in is between uh when harry met sally so below when harry met sally wow and above caddyshack <laughs> So they, okay. there's really no basis for understanding why it would drop in that little book because there's no possible way for you to catch a parallel to these comedies, this, you know, wacky romantic comedy and the totally absurd uh, Caddyshack, which, again, are I think are great comedies. But this movie is not a comedy. Uh, it just falls right there yeah. in there for me. And at 78, it's supposed to be a three-star uh, three star thing for me on Flickchart or on my rankings. It, my, it's about a three and a half or a four to me. It's right at the bottom there. Uh, I enjoyed it that much. I think it's it's special in a way that people won't necessarily know. How about for you? Take that and go the opposite direction. I will. Um, okay, so... Just another... wait. Is it is it above or below the Bachelors? First of all, do you do you, and is that? Oh, it's it's below the Bachelors. It's but below I, the I, Bachelors. I, wow. I, but I rank the Bachelor. I really like the Bachelors, okay. as you recall. Okay. I had my daughter. I had a real strong emotional, you know, yeah. tears. Um. So it is near another, um, trailer rewind <laughs> film. Okay. Do you remember? I don't know. Sometime, I believe it was last year, we talked about a little movie called Triple Nine. Is it below so Triple Nine for you? It's, it's, it's just below Triple Nine. It's actually wow. 358 out of 360. I'm giving it two stars. Okay. It should, you okay. know, Flick Chart says I should I should rank it worse. I don't, I mean, I have to really hate a movie to say one star. Right. And I say two stars. I think the, the performances are good. I think there's, like I said, there's story issues, but the performances, um, you know, I think it's, it's a well-shot movie. Um, I oh, think yeah. there's some, you know, we didn't get into cinematography at all, but there's there's, there's some, some great there's, stuff in there. There's some very yeah. There's 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 nice stuff in here. I said this movie deserves to be better, um, and, it, and that's, <laughs> that's through, through nice way to say it. failings of my own, perhaps. Uh, but that's that's where I put it, and it's, okay. it's just not for me. But right. I I know there are people that are going to love this, and I think they're. Um, it's a story that's going to resonate with people. It's it's got those moments. It's got that potential. So, I just have to say, not for me as where I am in my life. Okay. Uh, but I think there is definitely an audience for this, and it's. It, I think it's a shame that it didn't. Um, you know, it it feels like it just got pushed and dumped. Right out there. It does you know, feel like that for uh, sure. 
But I think, you know, Amazon Prime, Canopy, this is one that, you know, hopefully finds its audience over time. It's 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 been a year. I think, you know, you give it five years, you're going to get little cult followings for this uh, this movie. And I think, uh, you know, the, the, it's got the cast to draw people to it because people say, oh, I recognize Logan Lerman. He's an, he's an actor. I remember Elle Fanny. People recognize these faces. So I think that will hopefully be a draw uh, as opposed to a film that's... Uh, uh, of unknowns that's, yeah. that's driving and is going to fail to cross to break through barriers because of the lack of recognizable faces but this is full of familiar faces that i think will people say well yeah the, the this must be a real movie because it's got actors i recognize right. and i'm going to give right. it a shot it'll give so, them a chance that's good if you haven't already please head over to itunes and give us a rating and review it helps other film fans discover us and if you choose to support us on patreon you're joining a great community of film fans including some that are really into film as art yes such as this film perhaps some that just really enjoy movies. Yep. Uh, but we'd love to have you join our community. You know, over on Discord, there's a lot of lot of good conversations that are that are popping up. It's hard for me to even keep track of everything going on. Uh, there's been a lot of discussion about the Criterion channel. I just started my delving into that this week as just one more <laughs> option in streaming you services. Bunch. You have a bunch it's right just, now. It's far, far too many, but it's it's so enjoyable uh, over there. So lots of discussion about that and particularly with some of our international um members on discord who are not able to access things like that so there's always a discussion about what's going on why can't we just get access to movies why can't we that love movies somebody just please let me watch these movies i will pay you take my money i want to watch these movies no nope. nope no no options for you if you're in australia uh, <laughs> So uh, I want to send a special thanks to Pete Wright for editing this together, putting in those audio clips to make us sound like we're like a real show. Uh, thank you, Pete, for doing that. And JJ, always a pleasure. See you next time. Hondo. I love the conversations that so many of our hosts have had on their shows. Steve and JJ on Trailer Rewind, Ray and Ocean on Silver Linings, even Tommy's short-lived No, No, Wait, Hear Me Out. And so many films they've discussed started out as a book, a play, or even a TV series. Well, now you can support our whole family of podcasts by using our new Originals page to buy the original source material used to inspire films covered on our shows. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these fantastic conversations. It's a wonderful way to support the show. Producing these podcasts week after week require a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, try using our originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. It's your one-stop shop for Amazon and Apple links where you can buy the book, play, video game, movie, etc. upon which the movie is based. Original material for trailer rewind movies like If Beale Street Could Talk, The Goldfinch, Aniara, or The Two Faces of January. Or Silver Linings movies like Repo Men, which was based on the repossession Mambo. Plus, by using those links to buy books, Amazon and Apple show us a little bit of love, which allows you to support our family of shows with minimal effort. Visit thenextreel.com slash originals. It's a fantastic way to support the show and find a great book to read. That's right. Head over to thenextreel.com slash originals to find your next read and get started today. Get started today.